It is Locked on NBA, the yearly conversation with Dallas Mavericks voice, Chuck Cooperstein. We'll hit the weekly theme on if you were commissioner and then play over-under on all the Western Conference teams. It's next on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It is the yearly conversation with Chuck Cooperstein doing the overs and unders. Nobody remembers who won two years ago or three years ago, but unfortunately I totaled up last year's results, and Chuck Cooperstein kicked my butt. Radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, good friend of the program, great guy overall. Chuck Cooperstein, how are you? I'm fine, and you do realize that that is nothing more than the flying squirrel finding the acorn. Yeah, but I, like, did some stupid stuff. Like, uh, I looked at it, and I was like, how did I do that? And why did I pick that? And all sorts of things like that. Hey, before we get into our over-unders, and, and we'll probably do this over a, uh, you know, over a, uh, some next week as well on the Thursday edition of Lockdown NBA here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Our theme this week, John Krause and I talked about it earlier in the week, and Adam and Anthony will talk about it tomorrow, is if you were commissioner. So if you were Commissioner Chuck Cooperstein, what would you do? Well, first thing I'd do is make the playoffs 1 through 16. Seed at 1 through 16. Um, it's time. Uh, there's the, the travel excuse is just, just does not exist. Uh, you know, we in the West have been dealing with this a lot more than, uh, than the teams in the East. We deal with it on a regular basis during, during the regular season. Um, you know, I, I just don't see why with the playoff schedule being set up as it is, especially in the first round with, um, with at least two days off, uh, on two different occasions in a seven game series, why they can't make that work, you know, with their TV partners. I, I, I don't understand that. And then, you know, you even get to the, to the next round and you have that very curious, you know, you might play a couple of games and then have three consecutive days off. I mean, there's there's really no excuse for any of that. Uh, so uh, I, I don't want to hear that from the TV standpoint. I don't want to hear it from a travel standpoint. You know, people, it's not like they're playing back-to-back games uh, ever. So you you don't have to worry about that. And and the travel is is such that uh, it, it is certainly manageable uh, because the, the league is doing everything to make sure that it's manageable during the regular season. Why wouldn't you want to do that during the playoffs as well? So uh, one through 16, see them you know, straight up and, and let's go play. And frankly, I would also then uh, at, at all points protect the top seeds. I would not put them in a bracket. I would just reseed after every round. And uh, because we want to make the regular season as valuable as we can. And there's nothing more valuable than protecting your seed. So uh, I would, I would definitely want to see something like that. Uh, of course, this is my utopian world uh, as it relates to perhaps reality. Uh, I would, I would certainly settle for the uh, top eight teams in the West and the top eight teams in the East being seated one through 16 and then playing that way. If, uh, if we needed some sort of compromise to, to guarantee that there are eight Eastern teams that at least get a first round playoff series out of it. Can I, I'm going to take it even a stretch further. I, I actually like 
the one thing I think is wrong with the league right now, not the one thing, but a thing I think is wrong with the league, is there's just no local rivalries, right? Like Dallas-San Antonio's got some, but that's because you're just both good for a long time. Right? Dallas-Oklahoma right. City, but that's just because, you know, maybe, but maybe, probably not. Um, I would like to see divisions actually have some sort of value. Like, that you win your division, you get, I don't know, like, you just, I just think it should have some value because then it makes the local games have some impact. And if we're going to go to 1 through 16 seeding, which I agree with you, then can we go to a scheduling pod system in which, yes, you play everyone in your division four times, but now we just kind of, you play a pod, which could be the Atlantic Division, and another pod, which could be the Pacific Division, and you play them four times, and then you play the other three pods two times. It, it, it doesn't come out to the exact number of 82 anymore, which might be fine also, that you're now at 76. That would allow Adam Silver to have his little soccer tournaments he wants to have and all those kind of things. But I would like to just get rid of conferences. I think it's a travesty that if Kevin Durant plays his entire career in the Western Conference, that he only plays in Madison Square Garden once every year. Like, I think it's the one really great thing about LeBron going to L.A. is he's coming to Utah twice next year. How great. Yeah, unfortunately, he's only coming to Dallas once, so nothing changes here. Right, but, but, the, <laughs> but the idea is I think... No, I, 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 get, I, get what I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, the, I mean, the NHL has tried to do this. Uh, you know, as it uh, as it relates to their playoffs, to where basically they're playing in the division, they've kind of gone back to where it was uh, in the '70s. Um, I, I don't I don't know that I I, I I'm not uh, I'm nonplussed. I guess one way, one way or the other about it. I I just want to see the 16 best teams play in the playoffs because that should be what it's all about, and not trying to protect some other I, I think less important interest. So I brought this one up with John Corrales on yesterday's show. My other one, and this is totally ridiculous, but I actually totally believe it. I would go to six officials. Six officials? No, no, wait, 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 wait. Here, here's my – let me explain this. What, two, 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 two on each baseline corner? And two, so that's four and then two at midcourt? Yep, and they never switch sides of the floor. And, and they never switch sides of the floor. It's like Iowa women's basketball. Yep, because here's my thought on this. I do honestly believe – these are the best in the world. I have no doubt. I agree with you. They are the best in the world. Absolutely. And I also have no doubt they're having a miserable time calling a game that over the last five to ten years has gotten faster, spaced further, and it the spacing and the Steph Curry impact of the game is making it impossible on officials. The mistake I see most often is a 50-year-old elite athlete male, but still 50 or 55, or in the case of Benny Adams, a one-legged man running (laughs) up the floor trying to keep up with 25-year-old world-class athletes and trying to make a call. It's not fair. Well, I mean, you know, you think about it. In in all, uh, in in baseball and football, your, your officials are static. Right, they're they're all in in the same pretty much in the same location every game. You know that the referee and the, and the umpire and in the NFL, you know, stand behind the offense. You know, the back judge is is way behind the safeties, and uh, you know you've got side judges and field judges that are you know dealing in quarters of the field. Uh, it's it's not the most outlandish idea that I've that I've ever heard of. I I, I will not dismiss you out of hand on that. Uh, you know the the only the only thing that 
I worry about is if you have that many officials, they may feel the need to somehow blow their whistle to justify their existence. And then the game slows down, and that's not what you want. Okay, and then if I'm, then I need supervisors who tell them that that sucks. Well, right? No, I mean yeah. I'm serious, right? Like, like that's, but that's, I, I agree. I don't disagree that that's a possibility. But then you just have to have a structure that says to those guys, like, stop it. Like, then you're going to be, you're going to get, you're getting judged all the time, and we're going to judge you down for that. Like, don't try to insert yourself in the game. Just call it. Like, that's the job of the league. But I'm not convinced that the structure that we have right now of three officials sprinting up and down the floor, playing 48 minutes every single night, traveling to 56 road games a year, is one that works for these guys. Because I do believe they're the best in the world. There's something to be said for that. I I won't... uh... You know, I, I won't disagree with that. I, I think the one way that you know perhaps they, they can be assisted is by expanding the officiating staff, and I, I think they're certainly in the process of doing that. You know, we see that in the summer league with the number of uh, you know G League officials, and indeed, uh, you know, younger officials just trying to break into the G League, uh, male and female both. And I think that would uh, that would certainly help uh, you know the NBA achieve some of the, the social goals that they they have in mind as well. And uh, like I say, it's it's not the it's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, I I think it's something that's uh, that could 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 easily be considered because uh, there is somewhat of a a benchmark from the other sports that we talked about that that do exactly that. He's Chuck Cooperstein, radio voice of the Mavericks. You've heard him on national broadcasts, all on super stuff. He's just great. And we play over under when we continue on Locked On Jazz. Let's start the over-under in the Western Conference with Chuck Cooperstein, and let's start at the bottom of the barrel and move our way up. So we're going quickly to start. No offense to these teams. Sacramento Kings will likely start De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan Banyanovic, Justin Jackson. They got Bielitsa, Marvin Bagley, Willie Cauley-Stein in there. Uh, what's your thought on 25-and-a-half for the Sacramento Kings? I think they'll win more than that. I, I, I love Bagley. I I, really? I I love Bagley. I, yes, I do. I, I think Bagley is a walk-in seventeen and ten kind of guy. I, I think he I think he's a difference maker. He, got, he plays incredibly hard. He's got great energy, uh, and I think he's got uh, I think he's got a repeatable stroke on his shot. Uh, while he hasn't taken many of them, yeah, I'd like to see him develop his right hand. But he he's going to get the opportunity. To, to make a difference and play a bunch of minutes right away. Uh, I, I think they're a little bit better than that. And I'd say Buddy Heald, one of the most improved players last year, might have been the best catch-and-shoot guy in the league. I think he'll see him kind of find his groove this upcoming year. I'm not sure they have a point guard, so that's why they aren't going to win a lot of games. Well, I'm not sure yes, it, it, it's, it's as much on De'Aaron Fox getting better as as anybody getting better on their team. I'm going over as well, only because I cannot go under 25 and a half. I just can't go <laughs> under uh, that number uh, when it gets there. All right, let's go to the Phoenix Suns, coached by Igor Kokoshkov. Um, I don't know who's playing point guard for them unless Brandon Knight's coming back, Devin Booker, uh, Josh Jackson, Trevor Reza, De'Aaron, DeAndre Ayton. I'm going under 29.5 on this team. No offense to my guy, Igor. I just don't think there's a lot of talent there. I do think there's a lot of talent. I do think it's it's very young, uh, and I don't think that all the parts fit. I mean, it's it's like they put together a lot of athletes on their team. Although I do I do think uh, Aiton was 
easily the overall number one pick in the draft and, and should have been taken by Phoenix. And, uh, but, but I do think that his success in large part is predicated by whether or not they actually can find a point guard. And I, and I do think the fact that they don't really have a pure one that we know of right now, although I am, I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by the French uh, guy they drafted, uh, Elliot Cobo, uh, who, who looks like he's got a little bit of something. And I love lefties, too, because lefties are just a pain in the butt to play against. And so I'm, I'm curious to see uh, Kokoshkov and his, his ability to develop young players, which is well, well known. David, you obviously well know it. Uh, from, from your time with him uh, in Utah and obviously didn't Phoenix before. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how that all works, but, uh, but I will go uh, under uh, the 29 and a half. With that. I mean, the thing that's going to make them go over is if Aton's superstar, right? Like if he's that good a player, yeah. like if he's, uh, yes. by the way, on a Kobo, I like him too. I watched a YouTube game of him, uh, a whole YouTube game of him. He had no assists. So that's the only thing that worries me about him as a point guard, but I do like him. The Memphis Grizzlies might be the most interesting team in the Western Conference because they were so injured and so broken up, and they have been for so long that we've just forgotten about them. On the other end, they're still starting Mike Conley. They're still starting Mark Gasol. Jaron Jackson Jr. is fabulous. Is there enough on that roster to get them over 33 and a half? Uh... I will say yes, because I think Conley is that good. I really see if Phoenix had Conley with all those guys there, they'd be really good. Okay. They'd be, they'd be jumping up in a hurry because that's exactly what they need. They, they need a, a general out there on the floor. And he, and Conley is, you know, he's just such an improved player. You know, before the injuries, just his shooting has gotten better. His finishing, especially with his offhand, his right hand, he's so he's so good at that. And I, you know, I just think that Gasol is going to have a bounce back year. That was just such a messed up year for him on so many levels last year. Uh, I'm with you on Jackson. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious though about uh, you know some of the free agents they brought in. Kyle Anderson, um, I I I guess he kind of fits. I think they're going to miss Tyreek Evans, but I mean, when you get when you have two guys that are uh, returning to your lineup, who basically are, if not all star caliber players, very close to all star caliber players, uh, you become a much better team. I mean, a much better team. Who's to say Mike Conley's not on Phoenix by the end of the year? I mean, he may very well be. <laughs> but I, I see if I'm if I'm uh, Ryan McDonough, that that's the kind of guy. They, I, that's the type of thing I'm looking to do. They drafted enough young players already. It's you know bringing in Ariza to kind of give them some veteran stabilization for a year. You know, having Tyson Chandler still there, I mean, it obviously helps. But there's nothing like having that guy uh, with a lot of other young guys that that with the ball in his hands, like a guy like Conley would have, that could really make your team better. I mean, you go trade. They have Brandon Brandon Knight's contract. You trade Brandon Knight, Josh Jackson. Maybe T.J. Warren. You maybe don't want to do that. Maybe Dragon Bender, a future pick. You're, you've got. I would. I would. I, I, I would get, ben, Bender does nothing for me. I love T.J. Warren, but again, I, I love guys who get the ball in the basket, regardless of how they get the ball in the basket. You know, I think people are so uh, so tied up in the analytics and whether a guy, a guy can shoot threes or not. Just tell me, can, can the guy score and can he do it efficiently? And 
and, and Warren does that and has always been able to do that pretty much from the time he's ever been able to pick up a basketball. By the way, I mean, just I played with it. Brandon Knight, Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender from Mike Conley Works. Well, uh, Memphis, now, probably says, me, Memphis probably says no, except that gets Memphis off 30, $30 million for three years. Right. And uh, and then Memphis, they and, and then they have not, to figure and, out who they, who who their point guard of the future is. Right. And if Memphis if it's not working, but, then and, Memphis might say yes, right? So I'm thinking under because I don't think Marcus Gasol. I think there's a real chance that Memphis doesn't click in, and then they have to move those guys finally. Well, that, that may very well be. And also, you know, they did draft Javon Carter uh, from West nice Virginia, player. who was just just a pain in the butt to play against. I mean, he really is. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't know that he's a starter. I don't think he's a starter. I, but I do think he's a really, really good backup and a, and a guy, you know, who can definitely change some games with his intensity. Dallas Mavericks will be called by this great one right here. They will start with Dennis Smith, Wesley Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Luka Doncic, Dirk Nowitzki, and DeAndre Jordan. Yes, I know that I have five, six starters there, but. I can't take Dirk out of the starting lineup until somebody else does. Um, what? I guess I'll leave it to you. I mean, incredible move on draft night, and very clear the plan is to move forward. The over-under is at 34.5. What's your thought? I think it's over. Uh, I don't know that it's a lot over, but um, but, I, but I think it will be over. Just, just because the Mavericks set an NBA record last year, they lost 34 of their 58 games by seven points or fewer, which you know, it just is mathematically impossible. But the Mavericks were doing crazy things to, uh, unfortunately, you know, lose games. Uh, things that I don't think are going to be happening this year. Uh, but uh, there, there are two things in play here for the Mavericks uh, as they come into the season. One, you know, how do they decide to use Dirk? Are they going to use him as a starter? Uh, still, uh, even though like last year, even though he started games, he played most of his time with guys like J.J. Barea and Dwight Powell. Uh, and and those those units were incredibly successful for them. Devin Harris too, um, and, and the and the other thing, and I mean, this does speak to a, an even larger issue. I mean, even beyond Dirk starting, uh, which again I don't think is is determined yet. And Rick Carlisle has said the only way that Dirk won't start is if Dirk comes to him and says that I. I think I'm better off coming off the bench. I think the team's better off because Rick has already said I'm not going to be the one that puts him down. But having said all that, um, while DeAndre Jordan can cover up some things defensively, as we saw last year with the Clippers, he can't cover up everything when, you're, when your team is bad defensively, and the Clippers were really bad. So you know, if you don't start Wesley Matthews, if you're assuming we're, they're going to start Smith, Doncic, and Harrison Barnes, uh, you've got to have somebody who can be somewhere close to being a shutdown defender. And, uh, and, and Matthews comes as close as that. Uh, on this team as anyone. So to me, I, I don't see how he doesn't start. I don't see how Dirk doesn't come off the bench uh, for the ultimate good of the team. And the other thing, for, uh, it, David, is they just have to start the season better. They were 2-14 and 14 last year. They were 2-13 and 13 the year before. Uh, they, you know, they buried themselves so fast in the season they could never climb out from underneath it. And that's just – and. That's just something they have to avoid this year. They, they can't tinker with their lineup as much as they would like to tinker with their lineup to try to find the right combinations. It really is on the staff, I think, during the course of training camp, even though they're not going to be playing very many preseason games, to try to find 
combinations that work right away because they, given the nature of the West, if you fall that far behind that quickly, your season's done. I'm going to go under, not to be a jerk. Uh, and the reason that's okay. The reasons I'm going under, and I made sure not to be wrong, is I have never really believed that DeAndre Jordan's a very good defensive player. I just. I know that's very contrary to everybody else, and maybe it's my Rudy Gobert bias, but I just I think he's a great rebounder and he gets some block shots. I just don't think he's a great defense player, and I'm going to be curious to see if he can change Dallas defensively. The only reason I would go over is my admiration of Rick Carlisle, um, and I just think the lack of bench that if anyone starts to get hurt, it's such a drop-off from that first five guys to the next group. I like Powell, but I just... And the, you know, so and I like Jalen Brunson's a good pickup, but I, so I'm gonna just go under. You got to take something. All right, Clippers, thirty-five point five. Doc Rivers changed the narrative last year, made people believe he can coach. Beverly Bradley, <laughs> Harris, Gallinari, Gortat, with a bench of Teodosic, Lou Williams, Bob Mute, Mike Scott, Montrell's Harrell. Wesley Johnson's like their eleventh guy. Jerome Robinson and then Shea Gilgis Alexander. I I kind of they're like fifteen deep. No stars. Gallinari. We never know how much he'll play. I'm going over. I kind of like this team, Chuck. Can't say I'm thrilled with that team. Uh, I'm not a big Gortat fan anymore. I mean, I think I think his time is pretty much come and gone. Uh, again, Gallinari, you never know just how many games he's going to play. Um, I'm intrigued by Gilgis Alexander uh, and how much he improved uh, from the beginning of last year all the way through the draft process. Um, and, and, and Beverly, uh, you know, Beverly's a good player, but also Beverly is very injury prone, too. Uh, you know, Tay Dosich isn't going to guard anybody. I mean, tell, tell me who's going to guard people on this team. Yeah. Uh, and, and, do, and do they have enough scoring? And do they have enough scoring to do that? Yeah, I, think, uh, I, I, I think, will say I, I, I will say I will take the I will take the under on that. All right, I I think the scoring will be fine, and I actually think Gilgis Alexander of their guards, Beverly Bradley, Williams, Teodosic, Gilgis Alexander. I think Gilgis Alexander by the end of the year might get the second most, third most minutes on that group behind Beverly and Lou he, Williams. I, yeah, I, I well that that wouldn't surprise me, and it might not even surprise me at the, at the start. The guy that I was always intrigued with in the draft process, though, was Robinson because that dude can score. He knows he knows how to get the ball in the basket, and he and he did it against really good competition in the ACC. And he led the ACC in scoring in conference games. Not Marvin Bagley, and uh, you know, not Luke May at North Carolina. Uh, you know, or not any of the guys. Obviously, Virginia doesn't score very much, but but uh, Jerome Robinson did. And uh, I'm, I'm a real – he, he's the one guy, you know, every year there's that one guy that just blows up uh, from the end of the season into, into the draft process, and he was that guy this year. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. He, he's among the most interesting guys, I think, to look at this year. Portland Trailblazers, 41.5. What's your thought? Mm. They haven't gotten any better. No, they haven't gotten any better. They lost those like but, core piece guys that are better than you realize, right? Like they lost that kind well, of crux guys. Yeah, losing losing Ed Davis, losing Ed Davis definitely hurts. Now you know a, a guy like Caleb Swanigan, who was drafted last year, who spent most of the year in the in the G League. I mean, he's the kind of guy that should be able to take on that Ed Davis role, but 
but we don't know that right now. We don't know if, he's, if, he, if he can do that. I mean, he led the nation in double-doubles as a senior at Purdue. So he should be able to do that. But, you know, to me, this, this is somehow finding a way to take the load off of Lillard and McCollum. They've, they've got, you know, somewhere, somehow, they've got to find a, a third reliable score. And, and I don't know who that player is. I know who that player should be. But I don't. But uh, I, I trust Yusuf Nurkic about as far as I can throw him. So uh, I, I will say, you know, I will say under because I think they're a 500 team. I think they're a 41 win team. We're taking the third seed in the West and we're dropping them to under 500. Can we really do that? The one thing they did really well last year was guard people, which was surprising. I think most people never think of Portland in, in, in that light. But, uh, you know, especially Lillard and McCollum are not particularly good defenders. But they, but Nurkic did defend well around the rim. And, uh, and Alfred Camino is a pretty good defender, too. So, you know, may, maybe there's a way Terry Stotts, uh, you know, figure something out here. But uh, I, I think you could look at uh, a lot of what they did last year, and, and a lot of things broke right for them. Uh, and I'm not sure that's going to be the case. For you know, and it's subtle. Like, Shabazz Napier played 21 minutes a game last year for them by the end. Like, he was pretty good. He's not great, but now you're going Seth Curry, Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin Jr., and two rookies are going to take the minutes off Lillard and McCollum? Well, I will say that, again, now, Seth Curry, if he's healthy, is a lot better than Shabazz Napier. He's a lot better. A much better shooter, Much gets the ball into the lane, play, plays the game at his own speed. I, you know, Listen, I would have loved for, for my team to have re-signed him but I think uh, I think he may have seen uh, sort of the writing on the wall, uh, given what the Mavericks were doing with their guards, and didn't think that uh, he was going to get enough playing time. Uh, you know, on a, on a one-year deal here, he gets a one-year deal in Portland, and he's absolutely the third guard and guaranteed to playing uh, guaranteed to playing at least twenty minutes a game, and you know, depending on injuries and whatnot, maybe more. He's Chuck Cooperstein. I'm going under, and I'm only going under out of a co- thought that. Somebody has to lose games in the Western Conference this year, right? There's, well, there's so many good they, teams. Well, they, Somebody they, has to. Lose they, games. they do. They, they do. It's, it's, you know, the thing is, and I've always said this, David, that the teams that make the playoffs in the West are the ones who are dominant against the East, right? Because You're, they're all going to beat each other up in the Western Conference games in the 52 games in the West. But you've got to win at least 20 against the East if you're going to even smell the Western Conference playoffs. Yeah, you might have to go 26-4 and four this year. <laughs> if you're going to be at the top. No, I'm not kidding. Not, I won't quite go over the top, but uh, you, 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 better win, you better win 20. I mean, you better win 20 to 20, you know, 20, 21, whatever it is, uh, because just the, the West is, you know, listen, you and I have done this a long time. We've been around the NBA a long time. Uh, you know, the West in, in our time of broadcasting games has been the dominant conference, but I'm not sure that it's ever been more dominant than it is right now, just from top to bottom. Because even Sacramento, as, as and we're talking Sacramento was with 25 and a half, who was, was the over-under on them. I mean, they're going to be a pain in the butt to play against because they're very athletic. Right. They're much more athletic than, they, than they've ever been. I mean, they're just going to be a pain. Now, you may find a way to beat them, but you're going to have to work, your, work like crazy to beat them. And Phoenix, if if they put it together also. All right, that is Chuck, Same way. Chuck Cooperstein. He is the radio voice of the Mavericks. We'll do the big boys when we come back on the Locked On Podcast Network.
Started off with the San Antonio Spurs. They're at 44 on the board. Do we both just take the over because we're still at the stage where you can't take anything else against on the Spurs? You just out of respect to everything involved with them? Well, DeRozan certainly settles their guard situation, at least their off-guard situation. Tell me who their point guard is, David. I mean, seriously, who who is their point guard? Well, it's Murray. Is it, he Patty, was, is it, it, he was, is it Patty Mills? I think it's Murray. He was one of the best defensive players. I mean, is it Murray? I mean, I, and, I, and I know Murray got second-team defensive player of the year. I'm still trying to figure out how. How, how did that happen? I mean, I, to, to me, that he, he's a non-factor a lot more nights than he is a factor on the floor. And, and, I, and I think that their lack of point guard play last year, even with Parker, you know, now out of the picture, but he, and he, but he really wasn't even in the picture. He really wasn't playing a whole lot at the end of, of the year. Uh, Murray and Derek White and, you know, he had, uh, you know, Mills and all that. I, no, I don't like any of them. I don't like any of them. So, you know, I, I don't know how Pop works around all that. But he's Pop, and he'll probably find a way to work around all of it to, to make it look a lot better than it probably should. I'm going under. I can't see it. I just can't see it. I yeah. I mean, I you know, it, it, I, and and I think you may you may be right on that. I, and I may have to have to go. I may have to go under. I, and not not like a lot under or anything like that. But I, I just don't see where this team is now a a significant threat. And and frankly, I, I even if Kawhi had not been traded and DeRozan didn't, you know, Kawhi for DeRozan happens, I'm not sure that they're an elite team. Even even with Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard healthy, I mean, as good a player as he is, I just don't like the backcourt of that team at all. They were the number three defensive team in the NBA last year. Can they do that again with this roster? I know Kawhi only played nine games, but they're still just like that's why Dante well, Murray won that. Actually, I guess they were number four. four well, four, also, four, they, four, I think a lot of that had to do with pace. They were among the slowest pace teams in the league last year. Um, you know. They, they all. Well, the one thing San Antonio always does really well is is take away your ability to shoot threes. Um, I, if they weren't the best at it last year, as far as the fewest number of threes per game by by their opponents, uh, they were they were very close to the top of that. I haven't looked at that lately, so I can't really remember if that's the case. But they're they're really good at that, and they don't foul, and they never foul. So you you don't get any really cheap points against them. So that certainly helps their defensive numbers as well. The not fouling thing is a fabulous point by Chuck Cooperstein. Uh, fewest three-pointers allowed last year by any team, I believe, was the Brooklyn Nets. Only allowed 27% of opponent shots to be threes. And the San Antonio Spurs were fourth. Uh, Toronto was second. And Portland was third to the credit of Terry Stotts. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are at 45. They had this weird offseason where they came off success and then just somehow seemed to have negative headlines the entire time. But this would have been the third seed in the Western Conference had Jimmy Butler not got hurt by a significant margin, actually. So, and yeah. bringing the, basically the same group back with some minor changes. They lost Bielitsa, but their starting five is the same. I hope Derek Rose doesn't get too much of Tyus Jones's minutes. I'm going over on the 45. I like Minnesota a lot. I do, too. I do, too. And I, I just think that uh, – and, and a lot of this 
beyond Butler, who you just, you know is a uh, a quality player and an All NBA level player. Uh, I, I just think this is the continued emergence of Towns, because I do think Towns is is, a, is an unbelievable talent. I, I think there's just nothing that he can't do, and I do think now having experienced uh, you know a taste of the playoffs and what that's like that especially on the defensive end where, where clearly he still has to get better uh, that, that I think he, he will, uh, he will redouble his efforts in that regard, because that's the only way that they're going to go farther than, than they did this last year. The, the guy that I, that I do wonder about though is Wiggins, you know, t- tell me how Wiggins fits with Butler and with town, you know, saw his scoring average go way down his shooting percentage is what his shooting percentage is, you know, 43, 44%. Uh, you know, he doesn't shoot threes very well. And frankly, for as athletic as he is, he should be a fantastic defender, especially with a, a coach like Tom Thibodeau who, who coaches defense the way he does. And we haven't seen that from him yet. And, and I'm not counting on it because throughout his career, David, going back to college, he was always the kind of guy that relied on his natural athletic ability as opposed to really figuring out how to play. And on, I think that's the thing that ultimately holds, holds them back from really being great. Uh, but, I, but I think Towns can overcome that to the point where I'll, I will take the over. But I, they, I, I think they should be far more of a player in the West when we talk about teams that uh, that can make noise in the playoffs. I just don't know that ultimately they can make that much noise. Uh, I think there's a question I asked somebody this year. I got an interesting answer uh, was whether or not Andrew Wiggins is actually good. It's like, I still, like no, I mean that's like a legitimate <laughs> I, question I, among stats people is whether he's actually a good player. Right. He, he, let's put it this way: as as an overall number one pick, you would you would have to call him a slight disappointment. To this point, Dude. I wouldn't call him a gross. Dis- uh, I wouldn't call him a gross disappointment, but I, I would call him a slight disappointment. Given the tools that he has, there should be more in his game than there actually is. Do you believe that they will be better than twenty second in the league defensively? That's the big question on them. They were the fourth best offensive well, team, twenty second defensive team, and do we? Be- if they're not better than twenty second, then we shouldn't be over forty five. That is correct. In, in in this West, <laughs> that's I think you're absolutely right. So I, I I'm going over. I'm assuming that, but maybe Tom Thibodeau's not. Maybe the game's evolved a little bit in his defense or the player. I don't know what it is. Pelicans are at forty five point five. They were actually the ninth best offense last year, the thirteenth best defense, and after Demarcus got hurt, they were. I and I I am. I like their offseason a lot. I like Alfred Payton over Rajon Rondo, which nobody else is with me on. I like. I'm Juli- not with you on that. <laughs> I like Julius Rand, and you saw Rajon at his worst. Um, I like Julius Randall on that team. I like Solomon Hill coming back. I, I'll tell you what. I, um, I they were tell the me, number one who, piece who, of who are the Who are the shooters though? I mean, Drew, obviously Drew. I mean, because Drew, Drew's a hell of a player. They, they, that's the thing that we that for for those outside uh, who watch the who, who don't watch the NBA every day, who who finally you know watching during the playoffs, and they realize Drew Holiday's a hell of a player, and and has has turned into just a fantastic two way player. Um, but 
tell me who tell me who else is really going to shoot the ball for them. Miritich. Who's going to shoot it from from deep for them? Miritich. Miritich got hot for one series. He got hot for one series last year, and uh, you know, and I know you know he was. He was okay. Uh, he certainly, when he, when he first came back after getting punched by Bobby Portis, he got hot, and that's when Chicago went on their their one really good run. And then because of that, they were able to trade him. But when he got to New Orleans, I mean, he was a, like like a thirty percent three point shooter. He, he was not doing that. Uh, I don't I don't trust him. I got to tell you, I, I don't really trust him very much. But I do trust Anthony Davis, and I do trust Drew Holiday. I don't trust Delford Payton. It's it's a, to me it's it's a mishmash kind of team. Although I will say now that Alfred Payton has cut his hair and maybe he can actually see the basket when he, <laughs> when he shoots. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take the under on them. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I'm a Julius Randle fan, but um, I mean, is Anthony Davis now a full-time five? I don't think Anthony Davis necessarily wants to be a full-time five. That's uh, it's, it's kind of a weird mix as far as I can tell. After the injury, they were the 15th ranked offense, the Fifth-ranked defense, so I'm going to go over. I think they'll still be just as good defensively. Denver Nuggets at 47.5. Oh, man. I love what they've done. I think Tim Conley's done a fantastic job of putting this thing together. And and the, and the biggest reason why I do think that they're going to go over this year is they, they got rid of a guy like Wilson Chandler who just – we, we could all see, again, you could see the talent, but there's so many invisible games from him. Like, it's just, he, he's not needed. He not, got rid of him. Good. Uh, the fact that they won, what, 46 games last year, and Paul Millsap missed how many games? <laughs> Paul Millsap will make them significantly better. Significantly better. And, I, I mean, I, I love the guards, you know, Murray, he's not a pure point guard, but on that team with Jokic's ability to handle the ball, doesn't have to be the main ball handler. He can really shoot it. Gary Harris is, to me, probably the most underrated. I I think he's where Drew Holiday was, and then the world found out how good Drew Holiday is because he made the playoffs and did something in the playoffs. I think Gary Harris is that player. I think Gary Harris is that player this year for for Denver. I, I absolutely love the way he plays. Uh, and and I and I think Michael Malone's a really really good coach. I think he's a really positive guy. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, I think he get, I do think he gets say for Wilson Chandler. I think he got the most out of his teams. Uh, the, you know the, the last couple of years. I mean they came real close the last two years. I think this is a real breakthrough year for them because we we and we see this often in the NBA where teams are banging on the door, banging on the door, and they finally bust through. And I think Denver is that team this year. I'm going under. How's going that? under? Yep. Because uh, a few reasons. One, I do love Gary Harris the way you do, and particularly his rim finishing. Uh, in the last three seasons, Paul Millsap has taken three years ago. Paul Millsap took 36 percent of his shots at the rim. The next year, he took 25, and last year, he took 20 percent of his shots at the rim. And he's not a great three-point shooter, but I, but I think he will improve them defensively, and they and that's really where their biggest improvement needs to come from. Can I give you? They're always going to def- be they're always going to be able to score. His, that, that that's not their problem. Now he was injured for last year, but his defensive win shares have gone from six to three point eight to one point one in three years. 
Like, he's 33 years old and undersized. Maybe not as undersized as he was because the game's changing. I don't know. I just, I'm a little worried about Paul. And um, he's 33, he's he's 33 years old. Like, that's that's old in our league. And his the numbers show a decline. And the injury last year, I think, covered up the fact that he only played 38 games. So you didn't see it as much. I didn't think he and Jokic actually ever gelled that well. Um, I do think Gary Harris is great, and I do think the departure of Wilson Chandler helps them, and I think the wild card is whether Isaiah Thomas helps them or not. And he's got something to prove, too. Right. And he's he's usually pretty good when he's got something to prove. And in the 22 games after Millsap came back, Denver went 12-10. and Yeah, I mean – and obviously uh, lost the last game that they needed to win in order to get in the playoffs. Though they were pretty uh, awesome right know, before that, weren't they? So, yeah, I'm just going to go on. Someone's got to. Someone's got to go under. I'm not somebody, convinced. Somebody, any, I'm well, not convinced any yeah, other what, 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 but, to talk what about I think is going to happen here, David, is that you're going to see a lot of teams just really bunched up, uh, it, it, kind of like they were last year, where the number three seed was a 49 win team, it wasn't a 52 or 53 win team, it was a 49 win team. I mean, what the difference was between Three and nine was three wins. Let's move over. Right? Yep, I'm with you. Let's go to the Lakers, 48.5. So just, I guess, the question and is, I, how great do you think LeBron is? I, I think LeBron is great, but he's not 14 wins great on that team, and not not with the mix of that team. I, I think that's a really volatile situation. Uh, you know, I just don't understand. You know, there was a way that, the, that Luke Walton wanted to play uh, when he when he took the job, that he can now not implement because not only of LeBron but because of Rondo and Stevenson. I mean, I do admire the idea of trying to get more physical and trying to beat up on the Warriors because that's you know when when teams have beaten the Warriors like the Cavaliers in the playoffs in, in 2016 and uh, you know when, when the, the Rockets really had the, the Warriors on the ropes, it was because uh, they 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 knocked them around. They just they just beat them up, and but all the pretty stuff wasn't working. And I think that's kind of an attitude the Lakers are taking, and that's admirable. But uh, the the personalities in play, the one year contracts in play, uh, I I just wonder uh, how it will affect the younger guys on that team who are trying to establish themselves, and who you know many ways, you know, a guy like Kuzma, I love Josh Hart. Uh, I mean, I don't know what it means for Lonzo or anything like that, but it's just a weird weird mix on that team. I don't like it and haven't liked it ever since free agency started. I'm taking the under. You just talked me into it. Honestly, I was going over just because of LeBron, but uh, you talked me into it. Um, Well, I just, I hope I'm a genius here in April. I mean, you really did just talk me into it. The other one I think is interesting on LeBron is I'm just, I don't mean this negatively at all, but I almost feel like he's going through a rookie year. Like he's gonna his off nights in Cleveland. He used to sit in his cryo, whatever, and freeze to death, and then get his body back together. And now Al Pacino and Leonardo DiCaprio are going to call him and ask him out for dinner, and, he's, and I think he's going to say yes every time. Like because that's why he's there. Well, and I, and I, I, I don't see. I, I don't know that I'll go that far. Clearly, the the off court interests uh, of L.A. were were enticing to him, uh, but I, I still think he cares deeply about basketball. I still think he cares deeply about his legacy. I do think he cares, you know, uh, how he is perceived as a player. You know, he doesn't want to be that guy, frankly, like Kobe, 
who just, you know, saw the, uh, you know, saw his world basically, you know, drop off the deep end uh, from a basketball standpoint. And I don't, I don't think he, he wants to do that. I mean, he's taken incredible care of his body. I mean, he's been pretty much indestructible in 15 years, except for what a back injury a couple of years ago. We kept that a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I still think he cares a lot. So I, I, I would not say that the outside interest will be the reason why he is not uh, not as good a player. I, you know, at some point, age will will win the battle. I, I just don't think it's necessarily going to happen now. But I just think it's all the other things around that team that just don't work. Utah Jazz are also at 48.5. You want to go first or you want me to go first on that one? Um, I'll go first, and uh, I'll, ta- I'll take the over on them. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume a full year of Rudy, and Ru- Rudy's the ultimate game changer around the rim, and it's st- <laughs> that still matters. Um, I just love the, I just love their toughness. Uh, I, I thought Rubio fit in just incredibly well there. Um, even, even though his, his shooting still goes, you know, pretty much hot and cold. I, I, I will say that I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Dante Exum fan. Um, it just, just not a fan. Again, you know, guys had a hard time staying healthy, so maybe that's a bit unfair, but, uh, I, I just love the culture of that team and just the, how, how well they play together that, you know, everybody knows what they, the most important thing is they all know what they can't do. They never play outside of themselves. So if you're going to beat them, you got to beat them. And there are a lot of teams in the NBA who just can't play that way. So from my standpoint, just on that alone, uh, it's easy enough for me to have them go over 48 and a half. Their defensive rating from the day Rudy came back last year was 3.6 points per 100 possessions better than any other team in the NBA and five points better than every team but the Philadelphia 76ers and nearly 10 points better than league average. If they're anywhere near that, they're over. Now, I don't know if that might be a case of just the final 38 games of a season and some of those teams aren't quite as sharp late in the year, but that's 38-game sample that defense was historically dominant, and frankly, it was Detroit Pistons esque. Right, that's the last time we saw a defense that good. So on yes. that note, I'm I'm going the over. Thunder at fifty point five. No Carmelo Anthony. How much does it matter? Chuck Cooperstein. Well, uh, I think the reinsertion of Andre Robertson in their lineup will help them more. Than, uh, than whether or not Carmelo Anthony was there or not. Because e- even though he's, he's still a liability on offense, he's a great defender. And their, their team completely changed when he was not around. So, uh, I, I, I think that it, that is for the better. Um, but I, you know what? I still don't think, and I think this will just be a continuation of the playoffs. I don't think they're better than Utah. So, so from that standpoint, I'll take the under. I don't, I don't think that they'll be that much better. So, uh, you know, I've got, I've got Utah the over at 48 and a half and I've got, uh, uh, Oklahoma City at, uh, the under at 50 and a half. So, you know, we can pretty much do the math from there. I, I think Utah's a better team. The one thing that I don't think has been talked about enough, and this is kind of a weird thing, is Russell was not good last year. Like, Go look at the efficiency numbers on Russell last year. They were one of his – that was not a good year for him in any way, shape, or form. 
And well, I think look, he'll be know, much I, better this year I, I, without being confused about what his role is and how he's supposed to play. Well, I don't think he, he may have been confused for about 15 games when they struggled out of the gate. But then he, then he you know, turned into old Russ. And like I said, look, I mean, I see what the numbers are uh, on Russ, but I'm just not a fan. I, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not, I just don't think you can be as inefficient a shooter as he is. Uh, and, and a lot of his issues obviously came from the foul line too. For the first time in his career, he's always been a really good free throw shooter and he's always been able to get to the line, but what, he was like a 73% foul shooter last year where it's always been over 80. I mean, that's a fairly significant drop off, but uh, just, the, the, the wild child out of control, go in the lane, you know, make something happen. Hope you get fouled. Um, it's just not my thing. And so, um, I mean, I, I recognize the intensity that he plays with and the fact that he's there every night. I, I think that's really, really important and it's really laudable and admirable. Uh, but, um, you know, I know people want to look at him as, you know, as one of the greats and maybe even at some point because of the whole triple double thing, one of the all time greats. And I just can't go there. Well, since Durant left, their win totals have all been under 50, right? That is correct. I'm still going over 50.5. You're at under. I'll regret that decision. Rockets are at 54.5. <laughs> No Trevor Ariza, no Luke Bamute. They add Carmelo. I, honestly, I know you're not a numbers guy, and this is kind of a weird one. Not even counting defensively. The offensive downgrade from Bamute and Ariza to Carmelo's inefficiency is the exact same as adding LeBron James to the Lakers, except for it's negative on my numbers. Like, it's really significant. Well, the one thing the Reeves can really do is shoot the corner three. And, you know, you've got to be able in that offense, really in everybody's offense in the NBA today, but especially with how Mike D'Antoni runs his offense, you, you've got to have a, a three-man or, you know, a stretch four that can make that shot. And I, I think that, uh, you know, now that so much of this drama has been played out for Carmelo, I got a feeling he's going to relax. And I, 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 I think he's he's going to be better there. And sure, there's going to be attention on him and D'Antoni and the relationship they had in New York, and it's you know all all this stuff that everybody likes to talk about. But I, I just don't think that it'll have any great impact uh, on whether or not Carmelo succeeds. I think I think Chris Paul's going to try to make sure that Carmelo succeeds. Uh, and at the same time, I think Carmelo. Uh, in Chris Paul, or they're they're all in the same boat. I mean, they did the, the one conference final, you know, in their career. Uh, they didn't get to the NBA final uh, for varied and sundry reasons. And and I think they they both had this mutual goal, along with James Harden, to to try to make this thing work as well as it can. So I will take the over. I mean, I, I know that everybody's looking at the defense uh, and saying what what an issue it's going to be. You know, David, the, the, as much as I love defense and, and think that defense ultimately does win championships, this league is trending so much more toward offense that if you can just have a an, an average NBA defense, like we were talking about with Minnesota, if Minnesota's 22nd, in the league, that's a problem. But if Minnesota is 14th in the league, then they got a pretty good chance to be really, really good. And I think that's the case with Houston. The, the, they don't have to be great because they're going to score. Uh, but they, they just have to be um, what they
were, especially at times in the playoffs where they could just really get into a rock fight and find a way to win games. And if they can do that, then I think they're going to be really, really good and another uh, chance of contending for a title. I'm going over. I really actually think 55 is the number, but so I'm not going to go under. I just can't imagine they're going to lose that many more games. And out of respect to James Harden as MVP, and Chris Paul only played 58 games last year, so it's not as though he's going to get hurt and they're going to miss him a bunch. I mean, they already were without him a bunch. Final one is the Warriors at 62.5. Um, it's really just a question of engagement, I guess. Totally. And, you know, and when when Cousins gets back to the lineup, when DeMarcus Cousins gets back, when whenever that is, just how quickly uh, are they able to integrate his skills into what they already do? Um, but uh, but I will I will take the under on this. I will I will say that they, you know, they're probably around 60 wins uh, just just because of, of that. And, and as you say, uh their their engagement level, which at times last year, as uh, you know, David West told us, and even as Steve Kerr would tell us during the course of the year, it wasn't always there. And yet they were, you know, they're so talented. At least that that lead grouping is so talented, they could find a way to win a lot of games on a night when they really weren't interested in playing. And I think that'll you know, that'll be the case again this year. They'll win more games than anybody else in the league. Uh, but uh, but it won't be at that number, so I will take the under. Will, and basically, I think what 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 we what we've done with this whole exercise is just really demonstrate the, the strength of the West, and just the fact that you know er, everything is going to be really really bunched up, and the games, especially intra conference games, are going to be incredibly competitive. I'll give us both credit. We both took eight overs, so we both had eight overs, and then I guess we had six or seven unders. You had to have one or the other. We were both pretty close. We both had eight overs and seven. I'm going over on the Warriors, by the way, to get to my eighth over because they didn't seem to care last year in 158. So if they get, they can get 62 without caring as well. Uh, my friend, uh, great chatting with you. I super appreciate it. it. Took a lot of your time, but it's always fun to do this exercise and have a good time with you on it. And uh, I look forward to uh, losing this piece of paper so there's no record of you beating me again. Hey, uh, I think this time I've got a written copy of it somewhere. It's in a, it's in a drawer, ready to be pulled out if necessary. <laughs>